Please remember to give this podcast a five-star review on whatever podcast app you are using. On this episode, I go over the allegations against Karen Reed. I feel the need to discuss Jennifer Kessie again. I tried to get some clarity on how Missy Beavers died. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including a fantastic concert. I'm Ed Dunsell, and this is Unfound Live for September 25th, 2023. Why, yes, StreamYard, I am ready to go live. All right, everyone. That's like this question. It's really weird with StreamYard. Um, it says, okay, hit this button to go live. And then when you hit the button, it asks you, are you ready to go live? Uh, I've hit the button. What else more do I have to do here, people? I only need to hit the I should only have to hit the button once. I'm ready. All right. But the question is, are all of you ready? Because this is Unfound Live for September... 25th of 2023. It was a beautiful weekend here in the Clearwater Beach area. I'm going to talk about uh, what uh, a few things that I've done since last Monday when we all got together. Before I get into any of this too deeply, Please remember, if you are on Facebook, uh, to try to give this live show uh, a great rating. Whatever you got to do, do it. If you're watching, for example, if you are watching on the Facebook page, you might want to write a nice review of Unfound. I know many of you probably have been to the page And maybe have never written a really, 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 really nice review, five-star review. Maybe you want to think about doing that while you are on Facebook watching on the page. And for those in the group, uh, do what you can there. I would just want to remind everybody that if you are watching on Facebook, that I cannot, through StreamYard, I cannot see your Name. So it just says Facebook user. Just remember that. Love that you're commenting. But uh, if some of you have uh, spoken to me before, it might be helpful if you reveal who you are when you are posting your little hi or question or whatever else you have going on. So as you're watching tonight, please uh, give this video a nice review, a thumbs up, whatever you got to do. And if you're new to the live show, it does seem that we're getting new viewers every week. Uh, please subscribe to the Unfound Podcast channel. We're still uh, have this drive. I don't know if we're going to get to 20,000 by the end of the year. That's okay. But if you're not a subscriber, whether you're watching tonight on Monday night or if you're listening to this tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, wherever, as a podcast, go to YouTube and subscribe. Go and like and share the Facebook page. Request to come into the very, or not very private, but kind of private discussion group on Facebook. If you are a listener to Unfound, if you uh, carve out time on Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays to listen to 
a two-hour episode of Unfound, then you should be doing those things. You should be in the group. You should have liked the page. You should be sharing it, all of that stuff. If you'd like to go one step further to support what we do here, of course, you can, if you're on Facebook, hit the join button below. That would be very helpful. If you are watching the live show tonight, maybe you want to hit the super chat button. That's the little square with the dollar sign. Or you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast or paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast. All of that greatly helps and supports what we do here and what we have been doing for over seven years now. It's crazy. All right. Let's see who is in here now that we're about uh, almost five minutes into this. Uh, let's see who has uh, who is making time for the live show tonight. Everything, what's going on? Good to see you. Nephew Charles, what's going on? Valerie, Karen, Jasmine, Deborah, good to see you, Deborah. The Real, good to see you, The Real. Missed you at the think tank uh, last night, The Real. Mark, what's going on? Veronica. I want you to know Veronica. Veronica is one of my favorite female names. I don't know why, but it is. And uh, who else is in here? Uh, Barbara and Hazel. Lisa. Uh, assistant Sheree doing the moderating. You know, it, it's very interesting though. We, um, Sheree, we haven't had many uh, trolls lately, have we? It seemed uh, for a while there, of course, this is going back a while, that it seemed like uh, every week we'd be getting some, uh, you know, triple X porn type of stuff. People trying to comment here and there or bots or something, but it's been pretty smooth. For a while, but Shri, you keep your eyes peeled, and thank you uh, for the moderation that you've been doing for a while. It's been a while now, Shri. Hello, Fairy. Hello, Kathy. What's going on? Um, Made of the wave from the UK, Northumberland in the UK. Love it. And okay, Real is explaining why she sometimes can't get to the think tank. And Veronica says, you have great taste, Ed. Thank my mom for my name. All right. You're, you're very welcome. Thank you, Veronica. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, there's just, uh, I, I, I suppose any person has maybe names that uh, just kind of sit right with them or something. And the truth is, I don't know if we've really personally ever known any Veronicas. It's just, I don't know what it is. So, and, um, maybe there are, uh, there's certainly some other names out there, uh, female names that I think are, um, you know, kind of unique or, you know, special kind of stick out to me. And, and as I've said before, uh, the, the name Susan or Suzanne continues to pop up in my life. I don't know what it is. Uh, my biological mother's name was Suzanne. Uh, and I've had a girlfriend who have been a Suzanne, a Sue, and a Susie. Who knew? I don't know. And there's Suzanne. Speaking of which, there's Suzanne. Okay, there's nice timing, Suzanne. Nicely done there. I see you working. Hello, Ashley. 
And uh, yeah, may listen late last night and have to re-listen. Yeah, a lot of people like to listen to Unfound late at night. I've I've discovered that. Twinkle, good to see you. And I look forward to uh, talking to you on Thursday morning. And Ferry, my son's girlfriend was Veronica, and she went by V Ronnie. That's funny. Okay. All right, so uh, thank you all for making some time on your Monday night. I know there's uh, two football games going on right now, and uh, we're getting into the fall. I know kids are going back to school. Maybe some of you have to help kids with homework. Maybe some of you are teachers getting back to school and everything. So I appreciate uh, you carving out some time on this Monday night. As for me, uh, I'm doing uh, really, really well. And I have to start here. Uh, My brother and I went to downtown Clearwater, which is right over there. I mean, it's very, very close. And uh, we saw Glenn Hughes in Ingve Malmsteen on Saturday night. And what a show it was. If you don't know who uh, these two musicians are, uh, Glenn Hughes uh, was was in a group, a band called Trapeze late 60s into the early 70s. And then when Ian Gillen and was it Roger Glover left Deep Purple. So, you you know, if you think of Deep Purple, you think Smoke on the Water, Highway Star. That was the Ian Gillen era as the lead singer. Well, he left, the bassist left. And Glenn Hughes and David Coverdell, who of course eventually became really, really well-known with Whitesnake. They came in and took to those two guys' uh, places, and they did three albums with Deep Purple, and then the band kind of fell apart. But I've been a, a Glenn Hughes fan for a while, and he's touring with his own band, and he's a bass player, but he's a fantastic, fantastic singer. He's like 72 years old, and his voice is incredible. So I saw him uh, over there, and he did some of his own music and also did a lot of uh, Deep Purple music, mainly from his era, though, not from the older. He didn't look smoke on the water or anything. He did from his era, and it was fantastic. A really small venue, like maybe seats. It's called the Capitol Theater. I don't know, seats, I don't know, less than 500 or something. It was so loud. It was so good. So he was fantastic. And then Ingve Malmsteen, who is a, what we would call a neoclassical metal guitarist. He's from Sweden. Although to hear him talk, you wouldn't know that. Um, he was the, I guess, the headliner. And he just completely shreds on guitar. And I really didn't know what to expect. I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan of his. But I, it was... I, it was certainly entertaining. It was almost a little like rock comedy. It has a lot of stage presence and has a lot of weird mannerisms and things. And uh, But he's known as being one of the greatest guitar players of all time. And that was fantastic too. I mean, loud, 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 loud. And you, bo- you got your money's worth. I mean, they had an opening band that started like 7.30. Glenn Hughes maybe came on at 10 after 8.00. And I don't know. I, I really don't know when this show was over, maybe close to 11. I mean, my brother and I were there for a while. I mean, they really put on a show and it was really good. So my brother and I 
who I'm not as familiar with uh, Glenn Hughes and Yngwie Malmsteen as I am. He thought it was spectacular, too, because he's in his early 70s. So Glenn Hughes is in his early 70s. My, you know, my brother Brian remembers when Deep Purple was actually together way back in the early 70s. And he was even talking about that. So, um, great show. I'd been work. Uh, I bought those tickets way back in like May or something. And it was well worth the wait. Uh, what a show. And it's up in the balcony. No, there's no bad seat in the place. And, um, it was pretty neat. Of course, most of the people going to see this show are around my age or older, but that that's totally fine. They, they are my people. So, uh, and I was not the only one there with long hair. So that's the other thing. So it was a great uh, night there. My next concert that I'll be going to is actually going to be Styx. And that will also be over in Clearwater, but at a different venue. And 38 Special is opening uh, for them. I've already seen Styx once before when they opened for Def Leppard about six years ago, maybe. And so I'm looking forward. I'm a big Tommy Shaw fan. So, uh, when, you know, is then like damn Yankees and that. So, um, really looking forward to that. That'll be my next concert, Mr. Big. I think I'm going to go see them. And then Iron Maiden should be coming to the Tampa area on their current tour. So I'm looking for that. So I'm always, uh, keeping my eye out, uh, making up for all the concerts that I didn't get to go to as a kid. And when I was in Las Vegas, because the tickets are so dang expensive when people play in Vegas. So there you go. Um, let's see what everybody is saying about that so far. Um, Patricia, there you are, Patricia. Good to see you. Uh, former guest, uh, Joel Akridge's, uh sister Patricia in the chat tonight. Maybe everybody wants to say hi to her. Uh, made say Ian Gillen. Yeah, David Coverdale. Didn't know about him, though. Yeah, when Ian Gillen left, David Coverdale and and uh, Glenn Hughes came in and took their places. Yeah, David Coverdale. Very uh, sad about David Coverdale. He's kind of lost his voice. Uh, he was on tour and couldn't complete the tour. His, his voice is shot. Don't know why. Um, and Twinkle says, I love sticks. Yep. Just saw the cult online. It's so amazing all these years later. Made. I saw the cult. Back in May, they were fantastic. The only weird thing is they did not do Firewoman. I'm a, I'm a big I, – I, Ian Asbury, fantastic voice. Billy Duffy, love the cult. Charlene – uh, Charlene. by the way, Charlene is another uh, woman's name that is uh, high on the list. Uh, hello, uh, 2TA Tam in Ireland, so I thought I'd watch my favorite thing to watch on YouTube. Oh, now you're just kissing up to the host, Charlene. Thank you. And Sharice has forgot about Mr. Big. Yeah, Sharice. They're, they're on tour. Uh, three of the uh, the four original members. I think the other original member is dead. So it's good as you can do. So uh, maybe you want to see them there in Texas, Sharice. Um, you, know, you know, really good. Uh, Billy Sheehan. And uh, Paul Gilbert on guitar. I mean, virtuosos. I mean, crazy. Um, yeah, everybody. Uh, yeah, spelling correction sticks. That's right. Hey, Marty, what's going on? We're talking music here. You know, 
we've run into that topic. So those are some of the bands uh, keeping my eyes peeled for. I'd probably not get I've seen Def Leppard already a few times. And, you know, although I've never seen Motley Crue, you know, uh, Vince Neil really can't sing anymore. So do I really want to go do that? I really, I'm probably going to save my money for, um, I'd love to see Tesla, but everywhere Tesla goes, it's these small venues and they sell out, you know, very quickly or something. I, I, I don't know, but I would love to go see Tesla uh, again, but we'll just see. All right, moving on to some other things, uh, but that's, you should know, one of the biggest, best times uh, my brother and I have is when we go to concerts. Uh, we've seen Kiss a couple times, um, went to see Def Leppard, uh, but he has not gone with me to see Iron Maiden yet, although on Saturday night when we were talking, he actually did see Iron Maiden and forgot about it. He saw them open for the Scorpions in like 1982 in Salt Lake City. So he's actually seen Iron Maiden like over 40 years ago. But the times I've gone to see Iron Maiden, I went by myself once. And then my best friend Doug and I went. And then my other very good friend uh, from here in Tampa, Dana, went. But I'll be going to see them again, of course. Other things, diet is going um, well. Uh, You know, it's really not been that difficult. I've kind of narrowed it down to just eating between like six hours a day. So it might sometimes be 12 to six or it might be 12 or two to eight. It just depends, but that's going fine. In fact, I did a little food shopping today and it was kind of healthy shopping, kind of not so healthy shopping, but there was some, uh, uh, you know, I didn't totally junk up here. And happened to run into a fant- uh, a really fantastic disc golfer while I was over there. Uh, I know him very well. His name is Vince Carter. Uh, he saw me came over, but Vince is known as being one of the um, – he's just an amateur. But uh, he's been known as being one of the best disc golfers here locally in Pinellas County. And it was good to see him. And, uh, you know, we, uh, he was, we were talking about a few things. But uh, – you know, being it's local, once in a while I do run into people I know mainly from disc golf over at that Publix. And as far as uh, how my singing is going, uh, it's going great. Uh, I don't actually do my practice singing on Sundays and Mondays because of the Think Tank. Patreon.com uh, forward slash unfound podcast where I have to talk a lot. And then on this day on the live show where I have to talk a lot, I don't do my singing practicing, but the other five days of the week, I do do it. And uh, it's really, really continuing to go well. And um, still looking, uh, haven't quite picked out a date yet where I'll be showing up at a local karaoke bar to see what I can do. Haven't picked out that date yet, but I, I know it's, it's getting closer and closer. I can feel it. But my voice is great. You can hear my voice. It sounds great. You might notice that uh, maybe from this past summer where I probably overdid it a little bit, you probably could tell in some of the podcasts where my voice was a little weak, a little scratchy. Uh, that was overdoing it during practice. But now I've kind of got into this flow and I kind of kind of more understand what, what's going on now. And, uh, 
uh, you know, I've been able to figure some of these things out because you really can mess your voice up <laughs> if you overdo it. That's the difference maybe than playing the piano or guitar or something. But the singing is going uh, really well, and but I don't practice on Sundays and Mondays. And uh, let's see, people still talking about music. Mate says, I love Motorhead. Yeah, Motorhead never saw them. Of course, Lemmy and, you know, like this, the other all band members are all deceased now. But yeah, uh, well-regarded heavy metal band. Uh, Marty says, you just saw Alice Cooper in concert. You know what? Um, love Alice Cooper as a person. Music, I don't know. It's, his music has really never done much for me. But I think as a person, as a guy... Uh, as a performer, really good, but I don't know if I would spend any money to go see him, uh, Marty, but I can't blame you for doing so. Uh, Caddy says t- sticks twice, 40 plus years ago is Dennis DeYoung and Tommy Shaw. Yeah, Dennis DeYoung does not tour with them anymore, Kathy. I don't know why. Um, Meg says, I used to give a family of lads cheap cinema tickets that I knew loved Iron Maiden. Two of the twins in the family actually want a helicopter ride. That's fun. I'd never get in a helicopter, though. Uh, what's going on? The Facebook favorite night of the week. Alicia from Tennessee. Hello, Alicia from Tennessee. I was through Tennessee over a year ago uh, driving to Illinois. I went through your uh, fine state. Uh, went right through um, Nashville. Went right by the Tennessee Titans Stadium going up that way, Alicia. It was like 2 in the morning or something when I was going through there. Live stream, how you got to, what? Live stream me karaoke Marty. Are you trying to get on my bad side, Marty? Is that what you're doing? Are you trying to get on my bad side? Um, yeah, so we can all say that once again, somebody trying to, wants to uh, hear me sing. That's, that's pretty funny. Twinkle, there's a question. I'll answer this. Ed, what was the first concert you went to? Mine was Paul Revere and the Raiders. I, 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 I will answer that question right now, Twinkle. Um, my first concert was at the Civic Arena. It was in, I I was just looking at this recently. It was at the Civic Arena in Pittsburgh. It was May of 83, maybe 84, 83 or 84, either one of those years. I saw Lionel Richie and Tina Turner open for Lionel Richie. And it was just right about the time the private dancer was about, of course, you know, put her back on the world stage again, Tina Turner. And so, like, I got to see, of course, Lionel Richie, icon, Hall of Famer, the Commodores. And I like a lot of Lionel Richie music. I'll admit it. Um, Although I don't know if I'd go see him today. But. Even I don't even know if he's touring or not. I don't even know. But it was a fantastic concert because she did music from Private Dancer before that music was popular. And, you know, in a few months from now, she was the headliner, so you never had a chance to see these two fantastic musician singers together again because they're go- both going to be headlining different tours. I was very fortunate to get to see them at the same venue at the same time, very unique uh, time. She was opening for Lionel Richie. I remember it as being uh, a great concert. 
And I don't think uh, I went to another concert again until 1989, summer 89, when I saw Kingdom Come and Warrant in the basement of the Syria Mosque in Pittsburgh. Uh, the Syria Mosque isn't even there anymore. So uh, there you go, uh, Twinkle. Great question. Never been to a concert before. Oh, my goodness, Patricia. Yeah, you got to go. It's on my butt. Look at Yeah, I got to go. Facebook users. Remember, reminder to all Facebook users, I cannot see your names, unfortunately, given the way StreamYard works. But I'm seeing requests. Everybody wants to video. I'm going to video myself doing karaoke. Uh, I think if I do that, nobody will ever listen to the podcast again. I, I can't chance that. Um, Bruce was flying with them in the helicopter. That's cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Lucky duck for me. You're right. Uh, Jasmine's never been to a concert either. Wow. Lover boy and the Hooters in Wichita, Kansas. I, I like some lover boy. Lisa, the Hooters, not so much. Mark, private dancer, incredible album. My first conference with Duran Duran. I almost went and saw them when they were here in Tampa. A couple months ago, uh, I still would maybe like to go see them. Uh, it was camp at Duquesne. Yes, it was 84. It was my first concert. So Ferry was at the same concert I was at. Lionel Richie, Tina Turner. She was good. Fairy Magic was going to Duquesne at the time at the Civic Arena. You and I were in the same building at the same time almost 40 years ago, Ferry. Oh, my goodness. That is fantastic. I got to remember that. All right, Cherry Pie, yes. This was, uh, the, I saw them before Cherry Pie, everything, uh, Warrant. Uh, Woodstock 99, yes, I remember that. My first concert was Woodstock 69. Too bad I wasn't old enough to realize this someday. Make history, wow, yeah, that's a great story. All right. Uh, Patricia says, I love the karaoke. <laughs> uh, I karaokeed some many, many years ago, uh, Patricia, but I'm hoping to get back into it. All right, let's get to the uh, true crime section for the rest of the time for tonight's live show. If you all want to keep talking about music, feel free to do so. If you want to ask me any more questions, you can do can do that as well. I do have a question from uh, Charlotte. Uh, to answer, Charlotte's uh, been getting in uh, quite a few questions recently, and uh, that's cool with me. So let's go to the true crime uh, section of the live show, which should carry us right through the next hour and a half. We'll start with the Christopher Douthit poll. And this is a very uh, kind of, I guess we might call straightforward poll. And it was a very simple question that I posted in the discussion group on Saturday morning. And that was when Christopher talked to his new girlfriend, her name is Heather, was he actually at the food lion? Very simple. Was he at the food lion when he called her? And unanimously, People who answered in the group, and not a lot of people answered, but still. Everybody who answered that poll in the group said yes, he was at the food line. And what's I should say uh, on a side note, uh, when I we were doing the think tank, 
last night. And if you'd like to be part of the think tank, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. One of the members in there <laughs> said it kept sounding like you were saying, saying food line, like L I N E. And it was a comment made about my accent. I was thinking about it. I guess, I guess that might be true. So now I, I got this thing going on where, I, okay, if I'm going to say food lion, L-I-O-N, I really, really got to stress it. So instead of food line, food lion, two syllables, lion, not line, lion. Uh, but uh, in the discussion group, unanimous that he was at the food lion when he spoke to his new girlfriend heather to remind you she was not the mother of his twins uh, the woman's name who was the mother of his twins her name is shay s-h-a-y in contrast to the woman i know shay who is s-h-a-e uh in the think tank where we get into the nooks and crannies of these disappearances. We leave no stone unturned. It's the opposite of the podcast in that we do a lot of theorizing and we do a lot of guessing, a lot of for instances and things like that. It's the opposite of the podcast. But you should know in there, no new facts. All the facts that are ever meant to be broadcast are in the... um, in the podcast that you hear every Friday in the think tank, we really just throw ideas around really did not ask the think tank that specific question, but I got the feeling that it was like the opposite is that most people in the think tank did not think that he was actually at the food lion when he called. Some people did. Uh, but it was more along the lines that he was probably lying something along those lines to the point that maybe there was some doubts of whether he really saw somebody he knew in a truck at the food lion or not. Very common. Discussion group thinks one thing. The think tanks think something totally the opposite or somewhat the opposite. Very common. As for me... As I tell you every week, I write a blog at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. It only takes $2 a month to read the blog, if you're interested, where I give my own reasoning on disappearances. And I've been doing that for a while now. Uh, I came to the conclusion that I didn't think that he was making that call from the food line either. If you'd like to uh, hear or read my reasoning, sign up at patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And also should remind all of you, I'm hoping, I know many people don't, but I'm hoping that many of you went and watched the map and route analysis uh, for this week's episode on Unfound's YouTube channel where some of you are watching this show right now. So, you know, kind of, um, I think with Christopher Douthit, in a, at least a few ways, it's kind of like Jesse Farber's disappearance, where we were thinking, was he really, was Jesse really telling the truth? Well, I think with him, 
it's easy to say probably wasn't given that he was talking about coyotes, but he very well may have been on Sharp Mountain. It's more obvious that probably he wasn't telling the truth. With Christopher, it's, of course, very much more up in the air. I know there's going to be a lot of people that actually do believe he made it to the food line and really did see somebody in a truck that he knew. And and certainly to, uh, of course, hear his mother talk about it. And even for the police that have gone on the record in the last 10 years, uh, they think that foul play was involved. I'm not inclined to think that. But it's much more questionable when we start thinking about missing people and the things they say before they go missing. Analyzing what they say. Do they mean it? Are they lying? Are they seeing reality as it is? Are they being forced to say something? Are they trying to mislead people? On and on and on and on and on. And um, I think with Christopher, it's tougher to say than the week before when we were discussing or talking and listening to and you're hearing the interview uh, concerning Jesse Farber. That just shows you you can have similarities, but then then still be very, very different. So what's everybody uh, saying here? Uh, uh, Everything says, yeah, I love Warrant. Yeah, very sad what happened to Janie Lane. Monsters of Rock was also one of my first. uh, If I, I would have been so lucky to go see that, Lisa. Spandau Ballet, I love the song True Made. That's a fantastic song by, I know that's like their most popular song and everything. I love the song True, fantastic song. Um, Deborah, I remember Carlos Santana, Jimi Hendrix, and look at you, Deborah. Uh, I would love, love to have seen Janice and Hendrix. Uh, Facebook user says, I heard Lion, not Line. Okay. Um, food line has some cheap prices. Is that right, Miranda? Thank you for letting us know. Um, uh, we don't have food lines down here. We have Aldi's, we have Publix. What else do we have? I, uh, what's the other one? I can't, I can think of it. I'm not, it's not coming. Uh, Win Dixie. We have Win Dixie's here in Florida. Those are the three primary ones. Where I lived in Las Vegas, we had Albertsons and we had Smiths. And which one I went to depended on where depending uh, depended on where I live lived at the time. Uh, they pinged his phone there. They did, Patricia. But uh, you're you're right. You're li- you listened very closely, Patricia. But. You know, what happens after phones go off? It's hard to tell. Uh, we were only about 50% of thumbs up. Thank you, Sheree. Everybody, we got a nice showing here tonight. Thank you for reminding me, Sheree. Um, give it a thumbs up wherever you're watching. You got to do it. Thumbs up already done. Thanks, guys. Uh, thank you, Sheree, for reminding everybody. So, the blog has helped me study human behavior, think about a disappearance and other aspects through Ed's viewpoint. That's why the blog exists. Twinkle, thank you. All right. Uh, Maid says she's uh, Maid is going to bed. Uh, completely understand, Maid. Uh, sleep well. Yeah, replay it tomorrow. And uh, by the way, what do I think of Lincoln Park? Ah, uh, Maid. You know, it's just one of those 90s 
into 2000s band that I liked a couple songs, but I would not say I ever got to be uh, big fans of them. Probably of those kinds of bands that are kind of going to that grunge or whatever you want to call it that started in the 90s. Probably Soundgarden uh, would probably be number one, maybe followed by Alice in Chains. Linkin Park, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, hey, Rockford, I must congratulate Yins. Yeah, look at you, Rockford, going Yins in the big win last night. We Raider Nation officially have the worst coach in the NFL history. That's funny, Rockford. Yins going for the Pittsburghies. I love it, Rockford. Thank you. Okay, yeah, and uh, Pitt Steelers did look a little better last night, but uh, uh, man, I would be, you know, neither of those teams should be going to the playoffs. Um, moving on, I have released a new episode of Found. This is for Patreon people and uh, YouTube supporters, and it, I posted it, what was it, last night? I do from disappearance to discovery of George Mallory. If you don't know who he is, he is one of the most famous mountain climbers of the 20th century. And he certainly at the time in 1924 when he went missing, he was the most famous mountain climber on the face of the earth. And he and another man whose name was Andrew Irvine went missing while trying to reach the top of Mount Everest in, uh, in 1924. They, were, they went missing, and for 75 years they were both missing. And then by what we might say at least a little bit of luck, George Mallory's remains were found on Mount Everest in 1999. And so in this found episode, once again, for, uh, for most Patreon supporters and everybody who is a member of this YouTube channel, if you've hit the, hit the join button below, uh, I go through talking about George to talk about Mount Everest, why it's so difficult to climb. We get to the stories about his disappearance I go over stories about what went on during the 75 years. Was anybody really looking for him? What are some things that happened? I talk about how Mount Everest was finally reached. Uh, you know, somebody finally reached the top in 1953. Edmund Hillary with Tenzing Norgay, two guys reached the top. And then finally we get to the discovery of George Mallory in 1999. But you should know, of course, that was 24 years ago. Andrew Irvine, his climbing companion, is still missing. Here we're coming up with a hundredth anniversary next year. So, um, uh, so for all of you who are already, of course, YouTube supporters, Patreon supporters, it's waiting for you when you are ready to listen to it. And for the rest of you, if that's something that sounds interesting to you, hit the join button below and or go join Patreon, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast and sign up at the $5 a month level or above. Had a lot of fun doing that episode. Um, not that I ever want to climb Mount Everest or anything, but very unique circumstance. 
somebody very famous goes missing. This person's missing for a long time. Other people are climbing the mountain, but not seeing either of them. Why is that? Um, and uh, I have to admit that um, following people when they've gone to the top of Mount Everest, and of course, all the tragedy that has happened uh, going back to especially like 1996, uh, when eight people died on the mountain, it was turned into a book called Into Thin Air. Um, it's all very fascinating to me. So I had a good time putting that all together for all of you. And I hope all of you uh, who get to listen to it, enjoy it as well. And uh, to sign up to listen to it, patreon.com or right here on YouTube. And I don't think you'll regret it. All right. Uh, there were certain elements. Uh, Patricia, in the detective said, led them to believe he was in danger, but could not disclose them. Talking about, uh, Patricia, you're talking about Christopher Dalfit. It's true. It's certainly true. Uh, Maid says, yes, Soundgarden. Facebook, love Allison Chains. That's funny. Allison is in a woman's name. That is fantastic, whoever wrote that. Shelly, they don't believe the assault on them is related, though. Yep, I'm not, I, I have to tell you, Patricia, I'm not inclined to believe that Christopher's disappearance had anything to do with him being assaulted or the trial. Some people think otherwise. No question about Chester Bennington and his death, perhaps. I really don't know about that. Uh, Marty says the George Mallory episode was great. Listen to it today. Very interesting and sad. Um, very familiar, says GS and SD. Very familiar, the Chinese, right? The camera, the pickaxe, lost. Of study, uh, lots of study. Very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. And uh, Twinkle was very interesting, Marty. Yeah, Marty, I was wondering the same thing, Patricia. I couldn't understand what led them to foul play. It must be information they are not letting the public know. That's possible, Marty. But I think we also have to be open, on the other hand, to the idea that I think we know that the, some a lot of times the police don't know anything more about these disappearances than the public does. Veronica, yeah, I'm uh, talking to Patricia. A lot get buried with snow. They do everything. A lot of the people that die on Mount Everest, it's just from the elements. It's not the snow. It's the cold and, yeah, landslides. But it's really the the oxygen and the freezing temperatures that, yeah. Marty says he'd rather go to the top of Mount Everest than go to the Marianas Trench. Um. Made talking about a mountain film festival wrong. You can call me scary all you want, but mountain climbing is scary. Lots of risk. You can freeze fall. Yeah, it's a lot of risk. That's why a lot of people died. Over 300 people have died trying to climb Mount Everest. And 200, some of their bodies are still on the mountain. It's crazy. All right, let's get to some of the things that I want to talk about. I'm going to start right here with Jennifer Kessie. Um, there was an article, new article, that's been uh, on different media outlets. And uh, I think the reason this article is coming out, dare I say, is because I guess there's a new book coming out that's being written by Jennifer's uncle. I'm not sure if he is the brother of Jennifer's mother or father. I don't know. But I think because of this book coming out that some publicist says, hey, we got to get, 
you know, some news out there, get attention for this book. This is how it works, people. But this does obviously give me another chance to uh, offer my opinion if anybody's willing to listen. Jennifer Kessie's family is holding out hope potential DNA evidence might someday help investigators solve her 2006 disappearance. Kessie vanished from her Orlando, Florida condo January 24th, 2006, when she was 24 years old. She had placed several outfit choices on her bed that morning for work before leaving her new condo located within a complex called Mosaic at Millennium. I've been there. Her uncle Bill Gilmore told Fox News Digital at CrimeCon in 2023. So I think this is also because CrimeCon just happened. You, of course, know that, that I wasn't there, never going to go. But this came out there, and once again, I think this Bill Gilmore was marketing his book there. One more reason I don't go to these things. Authorities located her vehicle, a black 2006 Chevy Malibu, at a different residential complex called Huntington on the Green, about a mile away from Mosaic on January 26th, after a neighbor reported seeing her missing car on TV. I've been to both of these locations. I've been to the apartment complex where she lived. I've also stood at the spot where her car was found. The Orlando Police Department apparently claimed that there wasn't any evidence or nothing of consequence with her car, said Gilmore, who recently published a book, Aftermath of Jennifer Kessie's Abduction and Uncle's Quest for Understanding Inspiring Life Lessons. Uh, okay. But after my sister and brother sued them and got the records from the OPD and had their own team comb through the records, some 15,000 to 18,000 records. It said that they collected DNA in the car, which originally said they did not. The records obtained as a result of the Kessie family's lawsuit against OPD also included images of Kessie's vehicle, which had dust from the ongoing construction at her complex. The images showed, quote unquote, signs of a struggle against the hood of her car. We are never aware of that either. So it's just, it's just disheartening, Gilmore explained, of his family's frustration with OPT. Dare I say, and I don't care if he hears this, when uncles start writing books about their nieces and nephews' disappearances, I start thinking money grab. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement took over the case in November, and the change could allow for new testing of potential DNA evidence from Kessie's car that her family hopes still exists today. The law enforcement has never confirmed that information to the family directly. Other significant evidence in Cassie's case, case includes surveillance video images of a person of interest who has yet to be identified, which has to be the worst luck in the history of all video, that the person that wasn't a continuous video was taken snapshots, and this person's face just happens to be behind each of those bars of that fence. I mean, what can you say? The person's face is obscured. Cassie's family still does not know exactly how the 24-year-old woman who is excelling at her job and in a healthy relationship with her boyfriend at the time disappeared after she left for work at Westgate Resorts in Okoe. There is no proof that she disappeared going to work. Her colleagues reported her missing that same day because it was unlike Cassie not to call if she was going to miss work. What we knew at the time was whatever happened was totally out of character for Jennifer. She was predictable in a good way. She was intelligent, always con. Uh, conscientious of her surroundings and plan for her safety. Those who knew Jennifer would agree she didn't show any signs of discontent with her life, relationships, or work environment. The last person Kessie spoke with over the phone that night before her disappearance were her parents and boyfriend. Because um, Mosaic and Millennium was under construction, 
The building allowed workers to stay in vacant condos. Gilmore writes in his book that Jennifer had some uncomfortable experiences with some workers at her condo complex. This is all hindsight, 2020 confirmation bias. Anyone who has bought a new home knows there will be continuing involvement with the developer and maintenance staff for some time. Unfortunately, Jen lived alone and felt like she was being watched and subjected to unwelcome stairs, stairs, Gilmore writes. None of this is new. Kessie even made a formal complaint to the property management company in Chargerville building, building, according to Gilmore. All right. Um, I know many of you have been uh, following Unfound for a long time. Many of you have been um, following the live show for a, a long time. And uh, you've heard me talk about Jennifer Kessie's disappearance before. If you are unaware, we have never covered her disappearance on Unfound. I have never spoken uh, to her parents. I've never instructed any of my assistants to try to contact anybody in her family. Um, so for a lot of this, I don't know any more than any of you. But even well before I ever started Unfound, and when I say even before, I mean years before, not, you know, we started in 2016. I'm not talking like 2014. I'm talking like 2008. And you can go back there, and if you're really, really um, a good sleuth, dare I say, you can go onto Web Sleuths and see what I wrote about her disappearance going back to like 15 years ago. And none of that has changed. Even though I have all this experience now, I've testified in a murder trial. I uh, speak to college students about disappearances, which I just did last week at Florida Southern College. It went very, very well. I just love doing that. Can I tell you how much I love speaking to these students about disappearances? I love it. Um, and having worked with the Trib uh, newspaper, a media site in Pittsburgh, on and on and on. Nothing has changed my belief as to what happened to Jennifer Kessie. And I continue to say that she did not disappear on her way to work that morning. I continue to say this. I know what her family says. Well, that towel was wet. That is their proof that she got up that morning and then while she was going to her car was abducted. It's a wet towel. The problem we have is, we don't know how wet that towel was in the first place. In addition, given that I now live in Florida, and maybe even more so now that I have hair like this, which is like about the same length that uh, Jennifer had, dare I say, I know what it's like to dry long hair and how long it takes for a towel to dry. In Florida weather, where the humidity is always above 90%, which means the air does not sop up water that quickly. If we're in Las Vegas, I've always given this example. What's the big difference between Florida and Las Vegas? Both are very to the hottest places in the United States, at least where major cities are. The big difference is this. When it comes to the difference between Vegas, I've lived there 13 and a half years and having now in a couple of days have lived in Florida for 12 years. In Vegas, if you go in the pool, you go to your apartment complex pool, you go in the pool, jump in, you get out and go back to sit on your lounge chair. 
without drying off or anything, you will be dry in five minutes. It's low humidity, and so the air is just taking the, the water off your body as fast as it can. Whereas here in Florida, because the water, the air is already so full of water, if you do that same thing, if you go into the Gulf out here, come back to your beach towel, you'll stay wet for a half hour. That's one of the main differences between Florida and Las Vegas. So when I think about Jennifer Kessie and this wet towel thing, I always remember that. It's not scientific. That's just somebody's opinion. And dare I say, a biased opinion. Now, as far as the DNA, I don't know what to tell you. I, I'm, you know, I'm hoping they did do forensics on her car back in 2006. Uh, that, you know, dare I say, that would be more than what they do in most of the disappearances we've covered on Unfound. Tom Brown and others, they just give the car back the same day. We know this. How many times have we talked about that? How many times have you heard that? So, you know, I'm hoping they did. And if there is some sort of unknown DNA, it wasn't Jennifer's, it wasn't any of her friends or whoever else, I'm hoping it does lead someday to whoever was driving her car that day. Very well could be. It just, at this point, 17 years in, seems unlikely. In addition, the hood dust, this, this sounds like something that is too tricky by half. Just because there was construction going around, the hood was dirty, and they say it looked like somebody was rolling around. This is like a Rorsach te test. You know what that is, Rorsach? How do I say that, Shuri? Rorsach test, where it's like, um, uh, you know, they give you like a, you know, finger paints or something, and you're supposed to tell the, psych the psychiatrist what you see. And the way our brains work, the way the human mind works, is we are always looking for patterns. It's like looking at the clouds and you think you see a dog. That's not really a dog. Okay? It just maybe kind of looks because, once again, our brains are always trying to put things into categories. You can read about this stuff. A lot of studies have been done on this. So when it comes to dust that's been wiped off of a hood and you already know, you're already suspecting maybe some people think that she was attacked. What does your mind already start to do? It looks at that splotch on the car and tries to put uh, that into the picture. These people are seeing what they want to see. It could be anything. Could have been somebody sitting on the hood. It could have been her wiping something off the hood. It could be anything. And to really, really believe, I mean, really, really believe that if they're thinking that she left on that Saturday morning and there was a fight to the point that people were rolling around on the hood of their car, they're crazier than they think. And I, and I, I feel horrible for the Kessies. I feel horrible for them. But this is what happens when, dare I say, families have too many yes people around them. At some point, you need somebody that maybe can add some uh, 
objectivity to this. This is all confirmation bias. They think that she left in the morning. They think that she got attacked. They see that the the dust on the car has been wiped off or something. Oh, that's where a fight happened. This is all confirmation bias. It is not scientific. Whereas, I will tell you this. I'm going to say this again. For anybody who's listening, and maybe somebody who knows the Kessies, this will all get back to them. What is, what is one of the things that we have learned about disappearance? Although it doesn't come up a lot, but it's something I think that m- many of you have, uh, you know, maybe subconsciously learned, although I don't bring it up uh, very much. much. Um, what have we learned? Especially, of course, in the 21st century. Remember, we're now 23 years into the 21st century as a 22, whatever. And cell phones have been part of our lives pretty heavy for about 20 years. I got my first cell phone. Technically, I had an analog cell phone when I lived in Pennsylvania, but that doesn't count. But I got my first cell phone, uh, the number that I have to this day, and some of you who know me well know what that number is. I've had that number for 20 years now. And what have we learned about cell phones when it comes to disappearances? In fact, we talked about it just recently with Jesse Farber. We talked about it with um, Christopher Douthit. He Just within the last few weeks, what do we know? When a person's cell phone goes off, that is when the disappearance starts. Okay? Or we could say when the phone is on and is pinging and people are not responding or maybe in Eric Franks's case where people are responding and somebody's texting back or something, but it doesn't seem to be Eric, but pretty much what can we go by? What have we learned when phones go off? That is when the disappearance started. Now it very well may be that the missing person shut his or her phone off, maybe due to a suicide or something. But that is really, really, really solid information. Look at all these disappearances that we've covered in the 21st century that have happened in the 21st century where cell phones are involved. And you go and look. When people start, turn their phones off, their phones go off, the batteries die, goes into water, whatever we think happened. That is when the disappearance starts. For Jennifer Kessie, her phone went off that Monday night. Now, she very, very well may have shut it off herself. Very well may have. But do we really think, and I know some people have said, well, you know, people's, um, you know, habits with their cell phones have changed over the last 20 years. Being now that phones can do so much and has GPS and, and all of this stuff, you can, you know, it's a lot different than it was in 2006. I will tell you, my my um, use hasn't changed. Back then, I never shut my phone off, ever. Ever. But what we're asked to believe with Jennifer Kessie's disappearance, at least according to her family, is that she shut her phone off on Monday night, goes to bed, gets up the next morning. They say, took a shower, you know, got ready for work, picked out an outfit, got all of her work stuff together, 
um, ate her breakfast, did her makeup, whatever, whatever other that she would have been doing to get ready for work that morning. So what is that? An hour, an hour and a half or something. She never turned her phone on. Does, am I the only person that finds that weird? We know that that is contrary to how people use their cell phones and how they've been using their cell phones for 20 years. Okay, I understand. Okay, she shuts it off because, you know, she had this argument with her fiance, whatever happened there. And, you know, she's afraid he's going to call back and everything. But did she really get up the next morning and not turn her phone back on? And did all that hour, hour and a half, never turned it on? I find that very, 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 very hard to believe, given my experience with disappearances. This is totally contrary to what we have talked about for the last seven years regarding disappearances. And this is why I continue to say this disappearance happened on Monday night, not Tuesday morning. She shut off her phone for a reason. And the reason she never turned it on the next morning, that Tuesday morning, is, sorry to say, I think she was already dead by that time. So this is what I continue to lean on. And you know what? That kind of reasoning is much more solid than a wet towel. It just is. So this is where I still continue to stand on Jennifer Kessie's disappearance. Um, and like I said, this uh, this article just feels to me like somebody's trying to get public uh, publicity for a book. I'm an uncle. I want to write about a book. It's been 17 years. I have something to say, yada, yada, yada. So there you go. What is now, being that I'm off my soapbox now, what is everybody uh, saying here? Um, talking about Mount Everest. And, yep, um, Patricia's talking about George Mallory, uh, yep, that's right, took, took pictures with his wife too, yeah, Patricia, you know your stuff, very, very good, uh, Patricia talking about George Mallory, um, yeah, they're talking about mountain climbing. Uh, Rockford says, I don't think her condo complex was a tightly run ship. That said, I think the investigation should be looking at her close contacts. Blink on crime. Remember, I remember blink on crime. I, I go way back to that too, Rockford. Uh, had some good, had some good info on her circle. Yeah, I remember that, Rockford. I do. I do remember that. They, you know, taking a close look at some of her coworkers and things. Yeah. And dare I say, I think that that is a more viable avenue of investigation than the workers in the complex ever were. Um, I have a question for anyone. What's one of the worst bands? Mine is definitely Nickelback. Valerie, I'm right there with you. And um, Patricia's continue. Man, Patricia, you have a lot of information on George Mallory. I didn't know you took such an interest in mountain climbing. That's fantastic. Okay. Um, Stray cat, somebody says, 
Roy Shack. Uh, Marty says, very true, Ed. Our brains are fascinating the way they work, going back to how our brains try to see patterns. Uh, Maid, good night to you. Um, Kristen, thank you so much. You are very, very generous. Kristen, what uh, Kristen has done is hit the uh, super chat button. And uh, thank you so much, Kristen. Thank you for your support. I cannot thank you enough. Um, and the real says uh, in 2006, I already felt like I had a limb missing if I left the house with my, my phone. Exactly. Uh, Strange says it's so cool to see you in your hair. Seems healthy. My hair was long, but it is depleted. Any update on April Pitts, sir? Thanks for your service, sir. I don't have any updates, uh, Strange, on April Pitts, sir. I have not, and I have not talked to her mother for a while, although I think my assistant Emily has. Uh, and as far as my hair goes, it's all in the genetics. Thank you, Strange. Uh, Marty says I use my cell phone as an arm clock. So does Patricia. Kristen says, first thing you do when you wake up is turn your phone on. Most likely it isn't even off unless there's a reason, Rockford. You know who was at a bar, right? I do, uh, Rockford, I do know who was at the bar right down the street where she was that night. I know. I know, Rockford. Good for you, Rockford. I know. That guy who was infatuated with her, the friend of uh, Jennifer's brother. I know, Rockford. It is unique. It is something to think about. Uh, probably had an alarm to wake up her phone. Curious if there was another alarm clock. Crimson has joined the channel. Crimson Topaz. Thank you so much. I love that name, by the way. Uh, Crimson, thank you for becoming a member on the YouTube channel. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy it. Hope you will uh, let me know how it's going for you. And by the way, I should say, uh, if you're watching and not just listening tonight, if you ever do want to contact me, if you need to talk to Ed, like it says right there on the screen, you can email me at unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. That is the email. I am the only person who has access to uh, that email. If you would like to contact me, ask me some questions, Suggest some disappearances, whatever else. That's how to reach me. Rockford, coincidence that her brother's crew was staying at her house while she was on vacation. I know. Rockford, uh, you and I, I know we have uh, maybe had some differences uh, on some other theories for other disappearances. But uh, on this particular one, uh, we are very much in line with each other, dare I say. Okay, so that's Jennifer Kessie. Um, and once again, if anybody knows the family, just let them hear this part of this live show, this podcast, probably going to tick them off, but, um, and you should know, even though we've not made an attempt to, um, contact the family, I will tell you, and I've actually spoke, talked to Sheree about this a couple times. Um, you know, they had this private investigator working for them. Uh, that was from the Tampa area, some former FBI agent or Secret Service or something else. The person doesn't even have a public email. I don't even know if the person has an office, uh, no website, nothing. But he's the guy maybe in the past few years, if you've seen any shows that have been on Jennifer Kessie's disappearance, this guy has been on there. I forget his name right now. 
he's worked on nothing. You know, they hired him. I don't know if he's getting paid or not. He has no missing persons experience at all. So for the Kessies out there, I hope you haven't given him a dime. He wants to work pro bono because he's interested or something. I don't know what you can do to stop that. But do not, I hope you haven't paid this guy. Hopefully not. Um, exactly, Rockford. Something is a little fishy, Marty says. Kristen, didn't that neighbor knock on her door? Maybe it's a story I heard and not true. I don't, that doesn't come to mind, uh, Kristen. Uh, Rockford, we've had many more similarities than differences, but differences always tend to stand out. I've learned an absolute ton from it. I'm looking forward to continuing. Thank you, uh, Rockford. Yes. I, I, when I think about Jennifer Kessler, let's just admit it. Very attractive young woman. Had a lot of positive things going on in her life. What do I say? Those types of women and men who are like them. They usually have a lot of people orbiting them who would love to get into a relationship with these people. You know, I, you know, just from my personal experience, mainly when I lived in Vegas, you know, I was friends with a lot of spectacular women. And they always had four or five guys orbiting them, just looking, waiting for that chance. Um, and I have to believe that Jennifer Kessie was the same way. You know, that's what I think I know about women. Um, Patricia, I wonder if they fingerprinted her car. They found a mile down the road. Uh, the forensics, I think they did, Patricia. It's just, it doesn't seem that that's led anywhere, which has caused some people to think, well, there were fingerprints. They couldn't be identified. That must mean it was some uh, migrant worker or illegal immigrant, whatever we're calling them these days. That's why um, that you know hasn't happened. Whereas, I'm not so sure, Patricia. You know, I, it. You know, I got the feeling that the car was actually wiped down, and this is why when the car, if you ever watch the video. The person who pull it pulls the car in there, you know, he doesn't appear like five seconds later. It's like a minute. So the car's sitting there. And then this person, you know, uh, you see the person walking away. And it is believed that during the that those seconds that he, or maybe it's a she, um, wiped down the parts of the car that had been touched. An idea. I thought she was on the phone and her upstairs neighbor knocked on the door. Uh, no, that's a that's a different disappearance. I think you're thinking of Kristen. Pretty sure. All right, I want to answer Charlotte's disappearance, and then we're going to get into this uh, Karen Reed situation out of Boston. Charlotte asked me, and you know, I don't like to too often do uh, theories, but this is what Charlotte's asking tonight. She's asking me, I was wondering if you think they will be able to find out what happened to Charlotte Paulus from Ohio. I was reading about her today, and her husband has been in a lot of trouble since she disappeared. Uh, certainly. Uh, Charlotte Paulus was a disappearance that we covered um, very early on in Unfound's existence within that first year. Her brother was the guest, and Charlotte's disappearance was originally featured on Unsolved Mysteries. Uh, what's also unique about it, it's, it happened not far away from where my sister lives in Ohio. 
Uh, if you remember that uh, her husband, who seemed to be in drugs and everything else, she'd gone. She had had an illness or something. I think she'd been taken to the hospital. They allegedly came home, and then he claims that she took off or something. Uh, to answer your question, we always hold out hope, Charlotte. This is not one of those where I think all is lost. Um, in contrast to maybe the, some of those disappearances where we think that people went into a river where they might have gotten swept way downstream. This is not one of those. Uh, but I do think that uh, her husband is responsible, was responsible. I don't think he'll ever admit to that. And if it's going to be solved, Charlotte, probably it's going to take a lot of luck. At this point, this is going to be one of those where if she's in the woods somewhere that somebody finally stumbles across some bones or something like that. Uh, I, I can be convinced that his uh, his parents had helped him. Remember, if you remember, she goes missing and when her family shows up, they were already cleaning up the house or something. Remember that. I'm inclined to believe that. His parents knew uh, know what happened to her. I'm not saying necessarily they were involved, but um, it's uh, it's another one of those the man said type of disappearances, Charlotte, where we know that there are men who killed their wives and girlfriends and are walking around free people. I'm not saying these guys never get caught, but. I would say there's a chance. I, I don't know where to put it on the overall range and scale of all of Unfound's disappearances. I think it's more solvable than many that we've covered, but not as solvable as some others. You know, maybe if I had to compare it to a non Unfound disappearance, my opinion is that Jennifer Kessie's disappearance is more solvable than Charlotte Policy's is. Even though in Charlotte's, we kind of know what happened. It's going to be tough proving it. With Jennifer Kessie, we don't know exactly who caused it, but there are elements of that disappearance that I think make it more solvable. It's really weird like that. So that's kind of where I stand on um, on Charlotte Paulus's, uh, little did I know going way back to that time that, um, we would cover, end up covering so many disappearances like Charlotte's. I had no idea getting into this. We would cover so many where husbands surely killed their wives and walk around free men. And here we are 20, 30, 40, 50 years later and nothing's been solved. Um, uh, literally the luckiest person alive, Kristen said. Uh, maybe Courtney Stoff or maybe Jasmine. The knock on Jennifer's door was before she went on vacation. Okay, Sheree, thank you. Uh, maybe for remembering that, looking that into that, that doesn't ring a bell to me. Yeah, ha, Kristen, no, it rang a bell for me too. Okay. I thought I heard about a knock from a neighbor. All right, so, Okay. I just, uh, you know, as uh, Rockford has brought up the friend who was right down the street and everything, my main contention, I'm not going to necessarily, I mean, there's a few people we could look at, 
But my main contention continues to be that she went missing on Monday night and not on Tuesday morning. That is my main point. And I really think that has thrown off the investigation this whole time, especially from the family point of view. And I'll say it, I've said it before and I'll say it again. The reason they don't want to think about a Monday night kind type of disappearance is then maybe Jennifer's character is going to start being questioned. Let's just leave it at that. All right, let me talk about this Karen Reed thing going on. Her and her boyfriend, John O'Keefe. And I I know some of you may... it seems to me like this was nothing, and now I all I see are, and maybe, I don't know, I just see so much on this now. Even though this happened way back in 2022 or something, now I'm seeing all these news articles start, start popping up, and I had to look into it. Maybe some of you have seen it as well. And so it went like this. Karen Reed... Uh, was in a relationship with a, a Boston police officer. Her name, his name was John O'Keefe, and they had been out uh, bar hopping or whatever else. And they ran into a guy, another cop that O'Keefe knew. And O'Keefe was invited back to this person's house for a party, but it was unclear if Karen was also invited. And I think you can certainly get the idea that she should not have been driving that night. By that point, her alcohol level was surely to the point where she shouldn't have been driving. And we know impairment begins at the first drink, people. Remember that. But... She ends up driving her boyfriend, John, over to this house in a blizzard in Boston and drops him off. And I guess she was waiting for him to come back to the car. I don't know if he was going to go in and ask if she could come into or something. But he wasn't texting her. She's waiting outside down on the street in the car, and she can't see him. It's a blizzard. And she says, the heck with it. I'm out of here. You know, obviously he's forgotten about me. He went inside. And she said that she did like a three-point turn to turn around on this narrow street and went home. She goes to bed, but gets up very early in the next morning. And he hasn't called her. He hasn't texted her. She's trying to reach him, can't reach him. And so what she does is uh, she contacts a couple friends of hers. They come over, and they go in search of John. And the first place they go is back to this house where she had let him off. And guess what she finds? John in the snow with some injuries, and he is barely alive right outside this house. And remember, it was a blizzard. Very, very cold conditions. And they try to resuscitate him. They call 911. John doesn't live. But what Karen discovers in looking at her vehicle, and she did this actually before 
she ended up going in search of John. She noticed that the back taillight and the back of her car in the one corner had been damaged. It wasn't like that before. And the, there was like, you know, this plastic taillights. Part of the red is missing. And there's some scrapes on the steel. The, the paint's a little messed up. She's thinking, I don't know where, what, what happened there. But she still goes out, finds John. They try to bring him, you know, try to save him. They can't. He dies. But while they're trying to bring him back to life, nine, you know, EMT show up and everything. She's asking, did I hit him? Did I hit him? Did I hit him? And so she's thinking that, is it possible that I was waiting for him and he was coming back to the car and because of this blizzard, I didn't see him. And when I was turning around, I was doing the street point turn. Did I hit him? Did I run over him? She didn't think she did, but she was drinking and driving. And so eventually she was, has been charged. The police decided, the prosecution police decided, and remember, he's a police officer. They decided that, yes, she had hit him. Yes, she was drinking and driving, of course, which makes the charges even worse, leaving the scene of an accident on and on and on. So she now has all these charges against her. But that's not where the case sits now. It's like we're gone in a totally different direction. So what I've done is I went back and looked, when did this start to get crazy? So uh, to remind everybody, this started in early 2022. Does it give uh, the night? It doesn't, this article does not have the date. But this was in early 2022 when this happened. Seemed fairly straightforward. And I was doing the Google Wayback Machine looking for articles within certain periods of time. A couple months where nothing was written about this at all. But then in October of uh, 4th of 2022, so let's say six to eight months later. Um, yeah, Kristen, I'm, I'm trying to – a lot of people – and this isn't the complete story. We're gonna, I, I'm trying to give the generalities here. But And you should know uh, Karen and John had a tumultuous relationship. They had what people might consider to be a toxic, toxic relationship. So out of nowhere, though, on October, 20, October 4th, her defense lawyer said that there's an article of conflict of interest because the people – who are in charge of investigating actually what happened, knew John, knew the person at this house. And so the law, this lawyer is trying to get them removed because they might be biased. Our investigators knew the people who were at the party at this house just uh, a little too well. So at this point, no allegations of anything other than this was just an accident and she shouldn't have been driving and everything. Well, all of a sudden, that's the way it seems to me. In March of 2023, things started to get what we might say a little crazy regarding this story. So it was over a year later. And it seems it started 
the first YouTube video that popped up that had anything to do with maybe some alleg- alleging that something different happened here was on a channel called Turtle Turtle Boy. Never heard of him before. That there might have been some sort of cover up. Turtle Boy has a YouTube channel. He has 45,000 subscribers, 32,000 followers on Facebook. I've never heard of him before. But uh, the way this channel uh, is described, it's um, it's a Massachusetts-based news and entertainment website with a national following. Aiden Kearney is the creator of Turtle Boy and its senior editor. Turtle Boy Daily News exposes the stories the mainstream media uh, won't and refuses to cater uh, refuses to cater to speech demands. I don't know if that's Mito won't and refuses to cater to speech demands to the demands of woke mobs and all that. So he gets into politics and stuff. All right. So that's it. If you want to go to that and see what, see what he has to say about this. And he's been covering this whole thing since then. So nothing about Karen Reed. All of a sudden he starts doing these videos about there being a possible different scenario as to what happened here. And it's just kind of taken off from there. I don't know if he instigated it or what, but he was the first YouTuber to really talk about whatever happened here in a different light. So then in April, May of 2023, so just four months ago, the lawyers for the defense are alleging that the prosecution has been withholding evidence regarding cell phone information for people who were at this party. And the defense is now, out of nowhere, once again, over a year later, is now saying that this there is a cover-up. That what happened was Karen did drop him off. He went into the house. There was She left. There was a fight between John and somebody or people at this party. That even this the per- person who was holding the party, the dog attacked John, and they threw him out in the snow to die. And then went over to Karen's place, damaged her car, took these little particles and things from her taillight back over to the house to make it look like she had hit John with her car. This is what the defense is saying now now why would the defense would come up would come up with such a story it sounds overtly complex here but some of the things that they are pointing out is that on that night uh although it seems some of these things uh the def- the prosecution is now explaining away during the night uh Jennifer McCabe who was the sister-in-law of the guy uh, holding the party who was also a cop, she actually searched on her phone how long to die in the cold. And there were also messages on people's phones at the party that were deleted that didn't mention John by name or anything about a fight by name, but it seems quite a few of these people were talking about the cold. But once again, nothing about violence or anything like that. 
A forensics analysis of McCade's phone by defense experts also showed that the Google search was intentionally deleted, as were communications in the early morning hours of January 29th, 2022, among McCabe uh, and Albert and his wife, Reed's lawyers wrote. Um, Reed's lawyers said prosecutors withheld the evidence for over a year. The legal team led by David Yannetti in Boston and Alan Jackson in L.A. is now requesting access to Albert's phone so they can analyze it. It's unthinkable that the prosecution would have McCabe's cell phone in their possession for more than a year, do a forensic analysis on that phone, and then fail to turn over this extraordinary exculpatory evidence. A spokesman for the North Folk District County Office said prosecutors will make a formal detailed response in the motion on May 3rd, in which they did. And so their response was that eventually is that these timestamps and all this stuff can all be explained away. Uh, that it doesn't necessarily say what the defense says it says. Uh, according to a memo, Reed was seen on a surveillance video consuming, uh, consuming several drinks earlier in the night and possibly at a blood alcohol level between 0.13 and 0.29 around the time she allegedly hit O'Keefe. Reed is charged with second-degree murder, Motor vehicle manslaughter while driving under the influence and leaving the scene of a collision causing injury and death. But remember, she is the one who actually discovered O'Keefe's body in, in the snow outside the Canton home around 6 a.m. on January 29th. Reed's defense has pointed to a Google search for how to die in the cold that was allegedly done at 2.27 a.m. And they say this exonerates Karen. This, this seems like they were thinking, you know, we just hit, hurt this guy. How long is it going to take for him to die out there? But the, the prosecution is saying the timestamp came from a write-ahead log file, which temporarily stores data before it is written into the database. In fact, the phone data actually shows a search for a youth basketball website at 227, according to the memo. Uh, Reed's lawyers have also argued the Keith's phone data indicates he entered the home and climbed stairs between 1221 and 1224 a.m., though Lally noted that O'Keefe had been using his phone for navigation and didn't arrive until later. Further, the same phone data indicates that O'Keefe took several steps in the hours after he was pronounced dead. So uh, what the prosecution is saying, to call this data, data unreliable is an understatement. Karen Reed recently went on, on Nightline talking about O'Keefe, um, and she says, I did not kill John O'Keefe. I have never harmed a hair on John O'Keefe's head. She described O'Keefe as the patron saint of Canton, adding it was very selfless, frugal. And I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that didn't care for John. Uh, they had been dating in their 20s before reconnecting during the pandemic, but it was a tumultuous relationship. Both of them were drinkers. And, but they're alleging that this John O'Keefe got beat up, and that's why he ended up in the snow, and that she didn't hit him. So it's a very long article and I'm not going to go into it. Um, I find this, I have to tell you that I find this all very, very difficult to believe. It, the motive is hard to understand. He was invited over there. They're all friends. So what exactly happened that they beat him up and then leave him outside? It, it's hard to understand. Now they're saying, well, he had injuries that 
would not go along with him being hit by a car. Well, we don't know what he did after he got hit. He might have been dazed. He might have had a concussion. You know, he might have just been stumbling around out there not knowing what he was doing. We've talked about head injuries on Unfound. In addition, the only way that these people could have set up this kind of conspiracy is if they knew that Karen would drive her car in a way to make it look like she hit John. The only way you can set it up to believe that she backed into John is if these people actually saw her backing or turning around or something. But like I said, it was a blizzard out there. How could they see anything? So there's that. Um, this, you know, I have it written in my notes. This all seems very, very complex. I mean, really, somebody went after this happened, thought, you know what? We can pin this on Karen. We're going to go over. We're going to find her car. We're going to get over there without her noticing. We're going to damage her car without anybody noticing. We're going to collect the pieces. We're going to come back over and just sprinkle them over John's body and doing all of this in a blizzard. I mean, they would have to be absolutely perfect on it. If they went over there, what did they do? Break under her house. And even if it was outside, like under a carport or sitting, you know, on the, on the side of the road and, you know, in the curb, how could they ever be sure if they broke the light? Because if you're going to do this, you have to get every piece. If you leave even one piece on the ground to be found after the snow thaws or whatever, it, they're going to know that this was a staged. I I just I don't mind. I, and the thing is, I've seen there 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 are videos of protests. There are uh, writing campaigns. All these people coming to Karen's defense. People buying into this idea that these police are covering this all up because the police did this. These people who were at this party were police, and they covered it all up. I just find this very, very hard to believe. I'm not an expert on it. But as soon as you start saying to me that people went over to somebody's house, damaged a car, took the pieces back to somebody else's house in a blizzard, at some point I just start saying this is crazy. It's insane. Now, if Karen lived next door or she lived right down the block and it was a beautiful Florida evening and everything – then I guess I would have to be more open to it. But this is just too much for me. I'm just wondering if anybody has been following this. Like I said, it seems like there was, this is all very straightforward. And all of a sudden uh, the conspiracy theorists uh, came out of the woodwork because of people searching, uh, you know, how, how long to die in the cold and everything else. Well, I can tell you, I've probably done that myself. In fact, when I went up to see my father for Christmas last year, maybe some of you remember, when I was up there, it got to like seven below zero. That's in Fahrenheit. Seven below zero. And my dad talked about that, how cold it is out there. And how this is very common for people to do. It's what doesn't surprise me then that somebody might, do a search on that. Man, it looks scary out there. I wonder if I wanted to walk home if I could make it. How long would it take me to die in the snow? Nothing weird about that at all. 
So, um, uh, hello, Charlotte. Uh, I answered your question. Um, you might have missed it. Uh, Hazel says, grasping and straws, straws for the defense regarding taillights. Shree says, defense says she backed up into a car in the parking garage. This is, was there any other car there that was damaged? I, I read like five articles. I didn't see that all, Shree, but no. Um, tur- it's Turtle Boy once again. Anybody wants to go to his channel, see. I, I think I've given you a little flavor of what you're going to get there. I mean, anybody who uh, would call their channel Turtle Boy. Uh, Karen Reed's attorneys say they uncovered records from somebody else's phone, suggest they search the phrase, how long does it take to die in the snow? That's right, Patricia, on Google hours before uh, the police was called. Yes, but is that really unusual? I don't think it is. I really don't think it is. Um, She was documentedly drunk, does not help her defense at all. They're going to have a hard time proving murder, manslaughter more likely. Hazel... Documentally is a fab word. Thanks, Hazel. Uh, thank you. Uh, sure, nothing weird about it unless your friend is literally dying on your lawn from the cold. But did they know that? Mark, the defense attorneys in the Delphi murders case filed a wild memorandum motion with the court last week. Half the people are scratching their heads and the other half are not. Yeah, something about a pagan ritual. I, I don't have that on my agenda for tonight, Mark. Yeah. This this sounds to me like one of those things where it's going to be all this bluster. The defense is going to uh, do all of this. And before they even get to a trial, there's going to be a plea. And, and the defense is going to say, well, we just thought it was in Karen's best interest to take a plea on this. This kind of feels like where this is going. I just, it's just too wild for me. It's just too wild. But, yeah, the autopsy uncovered multiple skull fractures. They did. The problem, Patricia, is that we don't know what he did after he got hit. I know what our um, common sense tells us is that, okay, if she hit him, then he just lied on the ground the whole time. It very well could be that he got hit had a concussion or something and started stumbling around, not knowing what he was doing. It's very common, very common with head injuries. So don't take for granted because they found him lying out in front of the house that he was there that whole time. He might've been stumbling around the neighborhood for all we know. You have to remember that Rockford. It's not believable. It's more believable than the story that Richard Allen's defense Team was cooked up. All right, so Mark, uh, Mark, Mark, and Rockford uh, on the same page regarding pagan rituals for the Delphi murders. So, uh, and I've been meaning to get to this. I'm once again not going to get to it tonight, but maybe on one of these live shows sometime, I want to go over the difference between conceivable, possible, and probable. All right, when we talk about theories and how we think about disappearances or unsolved murders or or whatever else, we have to first determine is something conceivable, and then we have to first decide is it possible because conceivable and possible in the English language are not synonyms. 
I know we kind of use in our everyday lives. We use them as the same. They're not. Conceivable, then possible, then probable. And I guess where I am on this is that certainly we can all dream up in our minds a scenario where, yeah, these people went over there and damaged their car, took the stuff. It's conceivable. There are no laws of physics that um, are being defied here. Nobody's traveling in time. Nobody's going forward in time, back in time. Nobody's traveling faster than the speed of light or anything like that. So it's conceivable. But is it possible knowing what we know about people, about life? And that's where possible comes in. There's a difference. Patricia, two black eyes though. Patricia, like I said, if he got a, if he hit his nose, that's all it would take. And we have to remember he would have been out in that snow for all those hours and sub-zero temperatures. It's a miracle he wasn't just dead when they found him. Just I it just uh just doesn't phase that just doesn't phase me at all. So you can start looking into that if this is all new to you. It's been wild. You're going to see some videos on YouTube and elsewhere. A lot of people are coming to Karen's defense, believing that this was a police cover-up. I just don't see it. But I know I know, Cherie, assistant moderator Cherie, has a different idea. But uh, this is where I am on it. A couple more things that I want to cover in the next 20 minutes uh, that I can get through kind of uh, very shortly. Um, I'm having a back and forth with a listener right now regarding the murder of Missy Beavers. And uh, this person is, um, it's not the first time I don't think that I've talked to this listener about the murder of Missy Beavers. Of course, you know, we don't do murders here, but I have talked about Missy Beavers' unsolved murder on this live show. And... This listener is telling me that Missy was certainly shot. And in saying this, this listener said, well, I was, you know, she was, I think it's a she, it's a she. She was listening to another podcast, not going to name it, where the host said definitively that Missy Beavers was shot, and that is how she was murdered. This is not clear to me. So when she said this, and we had a couple back and forth, so I said, I'm going to, you know, man, I didn't, I, I was thinking that she was bludgeoned to death or something. So I ended up doing the best I could with Google searches, going to Web Sleuths and everything else. And all I can f- can find is that people talking about Missy Beavers being shot, the possibility of it. They talk about how she actually did have a gun in her car. She did not have it on her when she was murdered inside the church. But for some reason, this podcaster has said that definitively that she was shot. But you read all these articles over how many years now, and it says that she died of puncture wounds. Well, that's not really, that's usually not the wording they use when somebody is shot. Yes, 
I guess puncture wounds are gunshots, I guess technically, putting holes in you. But when I hear puncture wounds, I start thinking of knives, sharp objects, something like that. Usually when articles are written about people being shot with guns, they just say, yeah, the person was shot to death. I can't find that anywhere out there. So is this is this podcaster just making something up? Is this podcaster uh, extrapolating into an area that is untrue? Because I can't believe that there's any FOIA information out there. Surely, if you try to file FOIA information for the Missy Beavers murder, you're going to get nothing of any value. Um, and in fact, in articles, it says that the puncture wounds, quote unquote, and the tools that we see that person using in the church to break the windows and everything else this person was doing, man or woman, uh, those tools were lying nearby to Missy. That's what I've found. So I'm asking all of you, do you also think that Missy was shot, that she wasn't stabbed or bludgeoned with a hammer or something else? If you can find any factual information, an, an established news store source that says that, Please email me. You can see the email right there on the screen tonight. Unfoundpodcast at gmail.com because I'm very surprised by this. Um, listener wrote me and then we got onto the topic of she, she said Missy Beaver was shot. And I was like, was she? Is that, is that common knowledge? Is that public? Is that for sure? For sure. And this listener is saying, yeah, it is because of what this uh, podcaster said. And I was like, and I said, I, I tried to find any, and you know, it took like a half hour to try to find any information on it and really did not see anything. So what do all of you think about this? Is the listener correct or is this other podcaster right? Or are you as confused about this? As I am. Mark, yes, Rockford. The theory seems to be quite a reach, Eric, going back to the Delphi murders. Uh, Sharice says that information hasn't been released. All right. So, so Sharice, are you saying that the actual cause of Missy's death has not been released at all? So when I read about puncture wounds and the tools lying nearby... Um, is that just speculation as well? I, I really don't know. Uh, right on Mark. To me, it sounds like the defense throwing a lot against the wall. I'd need some clear primary source information. Yeah, me too, Sri. That's what I've been looking for. I can't find it. You know, just this, this podcaster, once again, I'm not going to name it. Um, and I really don't know anything about this podcaster. I've probably heard of this podcast before, but really doesn't jump out to me as anything like uh, that I've ever mentioned it anywhere before, but maybe this host has inside information, but then how does this host have, in, have inside information? And then what's the deal with going public with information that the police are trying to withhold from the public? What's the deal? Then that's where my mind goes. Um, Kathy says she is correct about Missy, but the autopsy said she died from multiple puncture wounds to her head and chest. That's right, Patricia. It does say that. It does say that. And that's why when I read something like that, 
I think, oh, she was stabbed or something like that. You know, it doesn't necessarily, to be stabbed, you don't necessarily have to use a knife. But puncture wounds, I think, like I said, bullets are puncture wounds too, but that's not how we talk in the English language about dying from gunshots. So um, Rockford, Ed, I've looked at the Beavers case quite in depth and I haven't seen official word on that anywhere. Okay. Sheree, I never heard she was shot. All right. Thank you, Sheree. I've just seen similarities noted in discussions on web, uh, web, uh, web sleuths between Missy Beavers and Elizabeth Barraza. Uh, and that's something that I would have to look up. I'm not familiar with Elizabeth Barraza, at least off the top of my head. Or was Elizabeth Barraza the woman that got shot when she was doing the art cell? Is that who she is? Or am I thinking of somebody else? All right. So uh, Rockford, as I have gotten to know Rockford, Rockford, very complete uh, sleuth, uh, gotten to know him pretty well. So if he's going to say it, my assistant Sheree is saying that she never heard that she was shot. Uh, Kathy is uh, who I know um, also very educated in such things. All of you are saying that it's not a given that she was shot. That's kind of what I thought. But this listener was so insistent upon it, I started thinking, well, maybe I'm wrong. You know, I'm not an expert on it. And uh, obviously, I don't have time to follow it like many of you might have time to follow it. But, I, you know, I don't think the news on that particular part of the investigation has changed since, like, the first week. She was in there. She got attacked. She died. And it was blunt force trauma or something like that. Uh, Jasmine says, I don't think she was shot, maybe being or stabbed. Um, yeah, I was right. Man, that is my brain good, right? Elizabeth Barraza shot during yard cell. Man, I was right on that. Good for you, Ed. Um, yeah, you do know the Barraza murder. Yes, that's the video. They actually have it on camera. The, the, a woman in a truck pulls up, goes up to her. They talk for a couple seconds and then the woman shoots, uh, Elizabeth. And I think we all suspect who committed that murder. Although nobody's been charged. All right. So I'm not crazy regarding Missy Beavers. That makes me feel a lot better. All right. Um, I will write back uh, to this listener maybe tomorrow and not, you know, just saying, hey, I asked very knowledgeable people in the live show tonight and none of them know anything about that. Okay. Oh, uh, let me see a couple of more unfound things. I'll be looking for the next unfound now to be coming out. I'll be doing that this week. Um, I already know it's a suggestion from a listener. I'm going to be covering the California disappearance of Jin Fang. She is a, a Chinese woman who came to the United States uh, to be shown around in the United States by a man from California who she met on the internet. Obviously, you can already tell this is a recipe for disaster. Well, she's been missing since July, but the thing is, he's missing too. So I'm going to uh, do as best I can on that, given the public information regarding her disappearance. And I anticipate that'll be coming out um, before we get to October. Of course, we're getting here near the end of the month. And as I already stated, uh, so we're looking for that 
uh, for everybody on the YouTube channel, continuing the series of Unfound Now, where I analyze a recent disappearance by just looking at the news articles, the, the accepted public information on that disappearance. And I do a little bit of analysis. Uh, as I already stated, last Wednesday morning, I went out to Florida Southern College uh, in that direction uh, to speak uh, to a bunch of students. And it went really, really well. I put a little snippet of it on the YouTube channel where I talk about a particular kind of disappearance called the art of luring. I'm hoping everybody will uh, go and watch that and give it a thumbs up. It's just a little, little, little snippet. And I got some really, really good questions from uh, the students at the end. And in fact, uh, one of the students had a story of um, how she almost got abducted. That um, she figured out that this guy that she was meeting had something else in mind. And she actually got into the car with this guy. And she thought the two of them were alone, but it must have been like a van or something like that. And she heard like a noise coming from like the back of the vehicle. And she realized there were other people in the vehicle who were kind of hidden down behind the back seat. And she jumped out and ran. What a story. And I, and I just told her, well, I'm really glad you did that. I would have hated to have had to done an unfound episode on your disappearance. So um, that was quite a story. And like I said, I got a couple, some other uh, really good questions. And you never know what's... You know, just when you think uh, you've heard all the questions that you could ever hear, uh, these young people, you know, come up with some good ones. So uh, I hope to go back to Florida Southern College maybe next semester. It's very convenient given it's just like an hour and a half drive. I even posted a picture. They have a reserved parking space for me. It makes me feel so special. <laughs> because here, even here in this complex where I live, we don't have assigned parking. So it's always a scramble trying to find a, a good parking place. Um, so to go there and to go into campus and they have a little sign with my name, reserved parking area, it's just, I don't know, it's, I guess it's the little things in life. But I had a great time. Uh, the professor there, her name is Dr. Blankenship. Uh, really cool. Got get along with her really well. I think uh, it's a fantastic person and what she's uh, teaching there. So it went really, really well. So that was last worst. The worst part about it is me having to get up at 6.30 in the morning to do it, but that's fine. And uh, let's see what everybody is uh, saying here. Yeah. Uh, Hazel, okay, thank you so much. All right, I think Hazel's getting out. Just a Missy Beaver's father-in-law, Randy Beaver's brought a blood. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, it ended up being dog blood, um, Patricia. A lot of people very suspicious of him for a while. Um, you know, I should know Patricia that I know you're relatively new to unfound, but you know, I've talked about Missy Beaver's murder a couple times and I've still convinced myself that she was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, maybe just, it just depends on what day of the week you asked me that question, but I'm inclined to think that it was wrong place, wrong time. 
Although, on the other hand, looking at Missy herself, it very well may could be that this was something uh, of some sort of a targeted plan. But I have to tell you that I think it was wrong place, wrong time. I, I think that somebody had a grudge against that church or something. And this person saw Missy in there and thought, oh, no, I'm going to get caught. So Missy has to die. Because otherwise, that is a really, really bizarre way of planning out how to kill somebody by dressing up as a police officer, breaking into a church, being seen on video, and taking all of these chances, and then murdering uh, Missy. And we have to remember, Missy was known to carry a gun. So that's where I am on it. Hazel says that was a lucky escape for that. Uh, student certainly was. Uh, she was very fortunate to act on her instincts. On her, you know, she saw something wasn't right, and dare we say, a lot of people, both men and women, do not, and they end up paying for it. Very sad. Uh, yeah, the, the parking space is very cool, Cherie. <laughs> they are uh, treating me to the, in the lifestyle to which I've become accustomed, Cherie. So awesome to hear about your college lectures. I think they're so important. I love them. MT, I just wish I could get uh, more of them, and I wish that uh, some of these places would at least cover my gas money. <laughs> Rockford, totally agree that Beavers was wrong place, wrong time. A bit of drama in her life, maybe more than a bit. It looks like robbery gone wrong. Kathy, Missy, wrong place, wrong time. Person could have been trying to find collection money at church. So Kathy and Rockford. When Kathy and Rockford agree with me, I feel like I am in good company. Thank you for those opinions. All right, uh, one more thing uh, before I talk about this Friday's episode. Uh, uh, yesterday morning, uh, I watched – I haven't talked about this show for a while. Any of you ever watched that Missing show? It's just amazing when I watch it how many disappearances that we've covered on Unfound end up being on that show. It's like a syndicated type of thing. It's usually on like on early Saturday mornings or early Sunday mornings. And I forget the guy who hosts it, but they just – the problem I have is, you know, they show the pictures. They show, like, the date and location, but that hardly tells the whole story for these disappearances. What I do when I'm watching that show, when I run across that show, is I actually have Charlie Project pulled up on my laptop. And as soon as the next name comes up, and if I'm not familiar with the disappearance, I go to the Charlie Project to that page to read the rest of the story. And I say, many times that show misrepresents what the disappearance actually is. A lot. It's the problem I have with it. All right. Maybe some of you have seen it. Like I said, it's, it's just called Missing or uh, something like that. I was also going to talk about the Zodiac Killer again tonight, but I've run out of time. Maybe we'll save that to next week. Just something that I came across, but not enough time. Uh, this Friday, we are doing another revisitation episode. Uh, it's, we're due. The last one was at the beginning of June, and then um, Unfound had this spectacular summer where we covered so many new disappearances, of course, Patricia being one of our guests this past summer. Uh, the last revisitation I did was at like the first Friday of June or something like that. 
We're going to do another revisitation episode for the fall. And because I recently talked to the guest of this episode, that's why it's chose this one. It is the disappearance of Pamela Golden. I know many of you uh, are familiar going way back uh, to that episode. She disappeared from Little Rock, Arkansas on July 22nd, 1993. So we also just passed the 30th anniversary. I thought that that would also be appropriate. And her guest, uh, the guest at the time was her sister, Rita. And the first airing of this episode was on June 23rd of 2017, over six years ago. I cannot believe I've been doing the podcast this long. But to go into, um, maybe many of you know this, but I think being a lot of you are new to the podcast, you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode. What happened was Pamela Golden uh, was working part-time for her sister Rita at a flower shop in Little Rock. And Pamela had been asked to help a friend move. This friend was allegedly divorcing her husband and moving out. So she asked Pamela to get some boxes to go over to the house to help this woman move out. Well, the issue is that Rita told Pamela, well, when you get out of here, if you want to go to a place where there's boxes, you pull out of here and make a left. Instead, Pamela pulled out and turned right. She was never seen again. Later, her truck was found. The truck that she was driving was found across the street from the flower shop where she had been. But the most bizarre part about this disappearance is that this friend of hers never did move and never got divorced. So that will be uh, this Friday's revisitation episode. It'll be a new intro, some new commentary by me. And being that we've all become so educated on disappearances, we'll have a chance to have another listen and see if we can um, further uh, piece together what happened to Pamela Golden now that we're all, you know, a lot more knowledgeable than we were back in 2017. So all of you can start looking that up. Pamela Golden. And we'll just replay the original interview, like I said, with new intro and commentary and everything by me. And I'm actually doing a new interview tomorrow. I'm actually doing a new interview Wednesday, talking to a lot of people. It's been a really good year for that. But that's all I got. Thank you so much. Did you give this video a thumbs up while you were watching tonight? Did you do it? You better have. Uh, Keep your heads on swivels. Thank you, Sheree. Thank you for moderating tonight, Uh, Sheree. Everybody, great questions, great commentary. Love talking about music and everything else. Charlie, thank you for uh, always uh, watching and listening on these Monday nights. And everybody, uh, thank you so much for uh, everybody for giving me a little piece of your Monday night when I know there could be other things that you could be doing. And for all of you listening to this as a podcast, uh, thank you. And please give uh, Unfound Live a nice review on whatever app that you use. Good night, everybody. 